0: Hi, I'm Steve Clemens, and I have a question. Are American officials and scientists starting to believe that the coronavirus pandemic came from a lab accident in Wuhan? Let's get to the bottom line. Does it even matter how the pandemic began? Isn't it more important to figure out how to end the disease that has wiped out more than 3.7 million people worldwide, and it's still spreading? For China, the case is closed. COVID-19 jumped from animals to humans in late 2019, period. And I might add that some folks in China pushed a conspiracy theory that the U.S. military hatched it and released it in China. Last year's investigations focused on a wet market in Wuhan that sold seafood and exotic animals for human consumption. The World Health Organization and many scientists agreed with this theory, even though there are still a lot of lingering questions. When former President Donald Trump talked about the possibility of an accident at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, it was generally dismissed as a conspiracy theory tinged with racism. But now President Joe Biden is asking his intelligence agencies to look into that very possibility. And China says Washington is now just playing politics. So how do we responsibly investigate the origins of COVID without political blinders? Today, we're speaking with Dr. Gigi Granvall, an immunologist at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security and the author of Synthetic Biology, Safety, Security, and Promise. She's a member of the Threat Reduction Advisory Committee, which advises the Defense Department on how to reduce the risk of nuclear, biological, chemical, and conventional threats. And Jamie Metzel, who writes about the future of technology, healthcare, and geopolitics. And he's the author of a great book, Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity. He's a member of the World Health Organization Expert Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing. It's great to have you both with us today. Jamie, let me just start with you. You know, if you were sitting in China, and during the tenure of President Trump, a lot of these theories, uh, uh, you know, about the virus coming from the Wuhan lab, being, you know, geoengineered, and and even released by the Chinese military uh, to to their own people, I think a lot of that was discounted largely by the media. Now President Biden is in, and some of these theories are coming back. I guess you know Asia really well. My question is, from China's perspective— is, wouldn't you expect a little whiplash in their response? Uh,
1: it depends on where in China. I certainly believe that there are many senior people in China who recognize what happened here, and that is whatever the origins of the pandemic, and there's a legitimate uh, debate and a legitimate conversation right now about whether it, it uh, emerged naturally, a uh, zoonotic jump from animals to humans, or through some kind of, uh, of lab incident, It's a very real question. Uh, It's an honest question. You mentioned in your intro, Steve, uh, that the World Health Organization has sided um, with the natural origin hypothesis, which is 100 percent, as much as I love you, uh, it's 100 percent untrue. Mm. Dr. Tedros has said that all the WHO supports the investigation of all hypotheses, including the possibility of a lab incident origin. So if I were in China, I would be a little worried right now because I would know that the Chinese government has carried out a massive cover up from day one. Immediately, they started destroying samples, uh, disappearing critical records, uh, imprisoning citizen journalists, asking the most basic uh, questions. And they established a universal gag order uh, preventing Chinese scientists from saying or writing anything publicly about pandemic origins without uh, prior uh, government approval. And so I don't think it's whiplash. I just think that you're you're right, that the world, many of us in the United States, and I'm a progressive Democrat, um, got in the habit of just assuming that everything that uh, President Trump said was just some kind of fabrication or, or lie or whatever. Um, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. And that's why I've been saying we need to evaluate the message, not the messenger. And I think right now there are two very valid origin hypotheses. And that's why I've always called for a full investigation uh, so we can get to the bottom of what went wrong um, and then address our greatest vulnerabilities.
0: I mean, it's a fascinating challenge and it's a mystery, sort of like a who done it and, and, you know, one would think of that line of, well, if China is incident, uh, innocent of this, why do they behave so guiltily? Uh, but let me ask Dr. Granval a moment. Can you share with us where some of your skepticism comes of at least that path of looking at this pandemic's you know, escape, if you will, into mankind.
2: Sure. Happy to. Um, So a lot of the theories about where COVID came from um, come from either that it was um, originally uh, in animals and made the jump somehow to humans or that it was actually created in a laboratory. And I think that the evidence for that latter, that it was uh, created in a laboratory, is, uh, is very uh, weak. And, um, and so there's a lot of problems with that, with that um, idea. The, one of the issues is that people, um, I think, put a lot of, um, I mean, I think science is amazing, but um, it's often a lot more incremental and uh, tedious than I think a lot of people think. And, um, and so I, a lot of the discussions over what is possible in the laboratory to, to create um, put a lot of faith in science that you know should not be uh, put into it quite yet. Um, that you know that scientists could basically ma- wave a magic wand and create a virus of this type. Right now, um, there's a, a serious investigation that we need to have. Um, for the origin of this virus, but um, but we need to do a lot more science to, and a lot more exploration to figure out where this virus could have been derived
0: from. Well, let me ask Jamie and both of you together. I mean, one of the cr- uh, critiques you offer in, your, in this paper was that when it comes to genetic editing and genetic design, a topic that Jamie Metzl knows a lot about, that we're not yet at the point in our collective knowledge in science and how to uh, micro-engineer those changes in genes in a way uh, that would produce, you know, very fine results as of yet. We're going in that direction, yeah. but yeah. your argument is that we're not there yet. Jamie, yeah. are we there yet, and, and we just don't collectively know it?
1: No, so, no. so I completely agree uh, with what, uh, what uh, Gigi has just said. For the people who think uh, that a bunch of scientists in China sat down and they brought out, the, you know, all of their their best CRISPR tools, and they just built using the tools of synthetic biology uh, some kind of of, uh, of of this actual virus, and then unleashed it on the world. That's a very futuristic idea. Maybe in 20 years, 50 years, that'll be possible. It's certainly not possible now. Uh, but that's why it, I think a lot of people have gotten confused with this conflation of the idea of a genetically bio uh, uh, genetically en- engineered bioweapon with the idea well maybe could there have been a very small genome edit just of what's what's called the furin cleavage site and there's a big uh, debate about uh, that happening right now but you don't even need to go to to the point of, uh, of assuming that there was any genome editing um, to make the lab incident hypothesis possible it could mm. be something as simple as people from the wuhan institute of virology or the wuhan cdc going down to one of these uh, bat infested caves in in Yunnan in in southern China and being infected and just the humans being the vectors. It could have easily been uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which has the world's largest collection of bat coronaviruses. Mm. Uh, They were doing things like uh, called serial passage, which are just exposures of viruses to other viruses, to other Mm. cell cultures, to ACE2 knock-in humanized mice. It could easily have been uh, that in all, there were a lot of different permutations, and one of them um, was one that was more able to to jump to to humans, and somebody in the lab was infected and just accidentally walked it out. There was some problem of waste disposal. And so I think we don't have to go all the way to a genetically bioengineered virus to raise the very legitimate questions of an accidental lab incident.
0: Well, I think this raises, you know, Gigi, some of the, the, the dimensions of lab protocols, lab safety. Um, we do apparently understand, and I, I, I don't have the report, but there are the accusations in some of the intelligence reports done by the U.S. government that three individuals became sick in November uh, of 2019 and that there was another case prior to that that Dr. Anthony Fauci has asked to look into, which is a number of people who became sick after investigating uh, a cave some time ago, and, and so what of Jamie's speculation that there could be something along these lines that may still be tagged to the lab, but may be less diabolical?
2: Um, I think that the only way that a laboratory accident, Arjun, um, makes sense uh, with knowing the science that we have um, is if it was um, just like Jamie described, where a virus was taken from the natural world and was examined in a laboratory and, and uh, came out somehow. I still think that um, you know the natural introduction is probably more likely, but um, but you know that's that's what an investigation is for. However, um, I don't think that um, that we are going to be able to satisfy everybody's curiosity to um, to be able to get to that that level of, of certainty. Um, We can we have to take the word of what has been um, put forward Um, right now. We have heard um, it's been in the news for months that the people who worked in the lab had serology tests and were not had not been exposed to covid prior to the pandemic. So um, we either uh, take that or retest or you know I don't know how one would get to greater certainty than that declaration. I think there are more things, though, that can be done scientifically that we're not doing um, to be able to better uh, underscore, like, you know, to figure out where this came from. And that is to do more uh, sampling of the environment and um, to to be able to trace back some of the where the animals came from. And those leads are going to go cold if they're not cold already. And so I think it would be nice to see more of a, an effort that we all work together to be able to find the origin in the natural world and then see where that takes us. Well,
1: let, let me ask, Steve, oh, please, yeah, let, me, let me just uh, uh, jump in there. I'm all for additional testing uh, and, I'm, and for sure we should do all kinds of testing and sampling in the natural world because as I've said, that's one very legitimate hypothesis. Um, but one of the reasons uh, why I'm so concerned uh, about and I think we need to do much more to examine the lab incident hypothesis. Is that everything that Gigi said is contingent upon our essentially trusting the word of of Shu Jiang Li and a small number of people at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? In an ideal world, on day one of the pandemic, um, Dr. Shu and others would have said, "You know, please, international community, however, uh, <coughs> however organized." come in and review our records, look at the lab notes, uh, look at the databases of what viruses we did or didn't have in our repository. Mm -hmm. If at that time, let's just say on day one, we knew that the Wuhan Institute of Virology had SARS-CoV-2 or a a, uh, possible precursor virus to it in their repository, that would be game over. We would know that the origin Mm -hmm. Um, is a lab incident. If, on the other hand, we had full access, we knew everything that was happening there. Uh, she has said that there was no Chinese military engagement at WIV, although every U.S. intelligence agency has asserted that there was. So there are major questions about Xu um, Zheng Li, the uh, legitimacy and her, uh, her credibility and, and accountability. Right. Um, these serology tests that Gigi mentioned. Uh, were taken way after um, the, the uh, potential exposures. So the Chinese cover-up um, and the destruction of evidence um, there, the, and uh, that's, in my view, that's the problem. Mm. These aren't unanswerable questions. They just can't be answered um, without a, a full process right. for looking into them. And when the international uh, study team was in China, people think it was an investigation. They were on the ground for four weeks, two weeks in quarantine. Mm and then two weeks for a highly curated, manipulated study tour, including right. a visit to the, the COVID propaganda museum. And then, at the end of their of their two weeks, they did a vote um, on which uh, hypotheses were more or less likely. And they did it by a show of hands, where the Chinese scientists had to raise their hands in front of uh, the, the Chinese party commissars. And, we, and they all knew that people who'd asked basic questions had been put in prison. So do you think one of those scientists could have raised their hand and said, yeah, I think a lab incident origin is possible. We should look into that. And I think that's all of this exists
0: within a context. Gigi, you look like you want to respond.
2: Yeah, I think I just want to caution your viewers about a concept that we call mirror imaging. Mm. So um, this is something that we thought about a lot when it was the U.S. Um, uh, as it had an adversarial relationship with the Soviet Union. And that whole idea was looking at the Soviets and saying, why are they doing this? Well, they must be doing it this way for this reason. And um, and that whole idea is could be false if you are making your enemy or your adversary a little bit more like you. So all I want to caution your, your viewers is to say that sometimes China is going to behave in a particular way that may not have anything to do with whether or not they are covering up this particular incident. And it's important when you're looking at the discussion of where this virus came from, mm. that we still push the science and push what we know and not what we think we know about um, or, or what we presume to be why China's acting the way that they are. Well, let me... I've- said that, like, a bat could have come out of a cave wearing a, a, <laughs> uh, a name tag, speaking English, um, infected somebody, and posted on Insta, and people would, you know, China may act exactly the same way, and, um, and even if the origin was clear as a bell.
1: Let me, let me just say a few moments, uh, just a little bit on what Gigi said. I don't think that that's just China being China. It should be um, any way that we should think about this uh, about this uh, issue, because there, we have this terrible, in my view, very likely avoidable pandemic. Uh, there's this terrible cover-up. We can't get into that's just China being China uh, and saying, oh, transparency and accountability, that's just our thing. We should just let them do their thing. If they want to you know, put a million Uyghurs in concentration camps, that's just China being China. I think it's, I, I totally uh, reject that. I think your, your second point is a very important point. We are entering uh, the era, the age of synthetic biology. Gigi wrote a great book uh, about that. And then the core message of this era is that our species has the increasing ability to read, write, and hack the code of life. Uh, and over time, we're going to have a much greater ability to just to, to manipulate all of life including mm. uh, including uh, viruses and including, you know, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 20 years, however many years. And so we need to be thinking about this. and that's why we need to be learning the tough lessons. That's why mm. we need to be doing everything we can to understand how this pandemic started and how we can be much better prepared for the next ones.
2: All I mean is that one should not assume that the origin of the virus has anything to do with um, with the way that China is acting, and we need to make sure that we separate out the science from other considerations. Mm-hmm. But um, but what I uh, but it is true that um, synthetic biology and biology in general is uh, is it's this is the science of this century and. Um, and a, a lot of nations are looking towards um, biology as a way to lift their economies um, and to provide not only medicines, but materials and manufacturing and everything else um, into for the next several decades. So countries are pouring a lot of money into the biosciences. And, um, and so we have to think of different ways that we can um, keep biosafety uh, funded, that we can um, encourage good norms and um, and be able to have the kind of safety systems in place so that people are appropriately uh, flagged. um, And uh, you know you might not be able to stop it but at least um, halt some of the the incidents like the CRISPR baby um, experiments. So. So this is it's it's not it's a nebulous kind of governance for Mm -hmm. sure because you know you can't uh, tell other nations what precisely they are doing. But we do have treaties. We do have norms. We do have engagements. We have publications. There are lots of different layers and ways that we can uh, try and and promote our vision of how science should be operating.
1: Thank you for that. I just jump in. That's why I think there's there's a through line between the CRISPR babies. And, and it's mm. an open question whether they, they even got greater uh, resistance, future resistance to, to HIV, which is is doubtful. Um, but there's a through line between the, the, the Ho Jong Kui CRISPR baby issue. Right. And this and a lot of other things that are that are happening. And there are two line, pieces of it. One is that science and, and our biggest challenges are global. But we're not organized to address global challenges and that right. mismatch is is increasingly dangerous the second is and, and China, the challenge
0: if I may of non-state actors Right. So yeah, is it a non-state actor doing this is there a difference between what governments and militaries are organizing to do and what Individuals yeah. who are entrepreneurial yes. and think they're going to tackle something with new technologies are doing.
1: Yeah,
2: and So I mean, if you if you uh, all the states that have navies looked probably looked at what happened with the USS right. Roosevelt and said, you know, that that is terrible. We've got to do something about our defense. But right. A non-state actor to be able to take a symbol of American power and reduce it to a hospital ship. I mean, that's that's potent. And that's something that we need yeah. to be worried about. In the let me yeah. let me and ask,
0: these- Jamie, let me ask you a question. You have written a lot about your concerns about a guy named Peter Dazak and the EcoHealth Alliance. And Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said, hey, you know, the U.S. government has helped fund uh, uh, some of his work, the Defense Department, and if you could do bat surveillance and be involved in that, that's a good thing. It would be irresponsible not to. What are your concerns about Peter Dazak if you can give us a brief catch up on that? So uh,
1: Peter Daszak is one of the world's premier, we'll call him a virus hunter, people mm. who believe um, that we need to have uh, surveillance to understand these viruses that are out there. Um, and we can't just bury our head in the sand. And he was actually one of the heroes of the effort to track down the origins of the first SARS outbreak. The reason why I have become, uh, I've moved from being a big fan of his in the past uh, to a big critic of his now are essentially uh, two things. Mm. Uh, first, uh, he was uh, the organizer of a letter in the, in the British journal The Lancet in February of last year, uh, which uh, claimed, without sufficient supporting evidence, uh, that this uh, outbreak al- uh, ext- almost certainly or very likely stemmed from uh, natural origins and called anybody uh, who was uh, even raising the possibility of a lab incident origin a conspiracy theorist. I've mm-hmm. called that scientific propaganda. I've called it thuggery. I've mm-hmm. even called for the editor-in-chief in of The Lancet to be fired because mm-hmm. I think it was not appropriate mm-hmm. to use that kind of language when there was we needed to have an open, honest conversation. Second, um, Peter, who already we know through uh, emails, right. uh, access through Right to Know, was highly manipulated in that process and trying to create the impression of, uh, of unanimity hmm. and didn't disclose any conflicts of interest. Then he was a member of both the WHO uh, organized but not uh, led study team and the Lancet Commission. And I think right. he just has a massive conflict of interest as someone who has funded the
0: work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that's now being brought into question. Well, thank you. Well, Gigi, I'd love your comments on that, whether it's about Peter Daszak, but also on the broader side of the scientific commons globally and how, you know, that... I mean, these don't follow national lines, is my impression. How can we make sure uh, that that remains healthy and robust and serving the public interest? I'm going to give you the last word.
2: So I think that um, there's a lot that we need to learn from this. And one of the things I've been struck by is just how small a group of people have been making this their career um, to be able to investigate new viruses. We should be doing a lot more of this and making sure seeing what we can do to stop pandemics not just um, not just make vaccines really quickly once they once they come upon us. So I think that means um, opening this up to being a greater a bigger field um, having more engagement between scientists mm. working worldwide. We have seen pretty clearly that infectious diseases don't know borders and putting our head in the sand is not going to uh, change that. You know diseases will come if we don't do what we can to stop spillovers.
0: Well, I'd like to thank Johns Hopkins University immunologist Dr. Gigi Granvall and writer and technology futurologist Jamie Metzel. Uh, thank you both for being with us today. I really wish we could have these kinds of conversations whenever we have a conversation. It's very, very good to talk to you both. Thank you. Thanks, thank Steve. You. So, what's the bottom line? In relations between superpowers, there's no such thing as an innocent question. It'd be absolutely fabulous to think that the world is open to unshackled scientific inquiry just for the sake of science and human curiosity. But here in the real world, everything consequential gets shackled by politics. Sometimes there are good folks trying to help the whole world come out on top of this process, but that's not always how it works. If the US government is challenging China's version of the truth, it will be seen as an act of aggression. And for some reason or other, China has done a lot to blur the origins of COVID and to muzzle those who knew something about the early days of the killer virus. So politics aside, Identifying the source of the pandemic is vital to fighting the next, whether we'd like to or not. The consequences for mankind are staggering, and that's the bottom line.